Hello, everybody. Welcome to Edge Podcast. But the one thing I know something about game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Ron Haas. This is a weird episode because I'm recording this on a Monday. Well, technically, it's Tuesday now. Um, what happened on uh, June 12th is that Pat Sajak announced his retirement from Wheel of Fortune. And that's some breaking news. But unfortunately, I'm way far into the future of this recording, so I don't really know the engagement. I mean, currently, everyone's going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Uh, so this is really late for many people. But you already probably know this. I think it's good that Pat's leaving. I don't. Look, Pat. Pat's a long-running game show host. He, he deserves the accolades for that. But it's time to move on. That's the way I feel about it. And I think the Wheel of Fortune brand is still one of the most iconic game shows ever on television. It is that piece of Americana that can't be replicated. Because when people think a game show, game show, a game show-ass game show, they think Wheel of Fortune. There's bah, wrong answers. There's dings for correct answers. There's a wheel. There's cars. There's trips. It's a fucking-ass game show. So with today's episode talking about Game Show Network Originals, uh, I'm going to intersplice with my thoughts on who I believe should be the new host of Wheel of Fortune, even though I pretty much think Vanna's going to be hosting the next season, and then she's going to retire, and then it's going to be Maggie, and then whoever is the new host. But first, let's talk about my, um, let's talk about uh, a GSN original uh, based on uh, physical education. This is Extreme Dodgeball. This is Essentially, the last guilty pleasure GSN show that I could recall. Rich Cronin is one of the most prolific people in the 90s and 2000s when it comes to television. One of the major shakeup people of Fox Kids and the Fox Family Channel, the president of TV Land, and then later being in charge of Saban and News Corp. Yes, that News Corp. But he was also the manager of Nick at Night and was a VP of marketing for Nickelodeon. He had so much influence in so many things that people remember from their childhood. And he's also in charge of creating one of the dumbest game shows that have ever been shown on television, Extreme Dodgeball. Extreme Dodgeball is basically the TV equivalent of Dodgeball, a true underdog story. Hey, remember watching Dodgeball, a true underdog story? You were probably in high school or elementary school at the time. You remember when Ben Stiller said, hey, Joni loves Chachi and that's about it. The dodge a wrench, you could dodge a ball. Well, let's make Dodgeball into a sport and let's make it a comedy sport and also have this comedy sport be on Game Show Network like it would be Comedy Central. This is Extreme Dodgeball. It's basically a game of dodgeball. There are two teams of five players in each episode in a best of three challenge. Whoever wins, it like wins a point, or they get a win on the record, or sometimes they get a cash prize. It doesn't fucking matter. Anyway, uh, the first round is a standard game of dodgeball and played with two dodgeballs on the field. If you the ball hits you somewhere, you're out. If you throw the ball and you catch the ball, you're out. Um, but the people, and in this case, if you catch a ball, whoever you already knocked out will come back in to the game. If you drop the ball trying to deflect it by an opposing player, you're out. And if you cross over the center line or stepping outside a boundary line, you're also out. 
And that's... Essentially, there is two ways to, to get back in the game once you got hit. If, you, if, uh, if one of your teammates catches the ball, you're back in. Or if the ball is thrown at a target in the back wall, because everything is safety glass, it's a regeneration target, and you get to save. But be careful, because uh, if a player catches it, you win. And in Season 2, when there was a dead man walking or just a last player left on the court, uh, if they stayed alive in the game for 20 seconds, they would regenerate the entire team, as in all four players will be back on the field. In both cases, the team could only regenerate once per round, though. And lastly, in the third season, there was changed one last time, where it was 30 seconds, and only one player will return, but the player is eliminated. Four team players returned to the game, However, it could be done a limited number of times. The rules kept changing every season. They added a giant big ball to a second round challenge. It's the big ball round. A third ball with twice the diameter of two is added into play. It's usually used to be a deflector, which means someone catches the ball and then uses it to bonk the ball away from them. In the third round, dead man walking, the big ball is removed and in its place is an orange headband where one member of each plane will be the dead man walking. And if that player is eliminated, then by default, the game is over. Remember, it's a best two of three. Once that round ends, we just keep going with more of this fucking show. Each team played five matchups. Afterwards, all eight compete in the playoffs, first playing eighth, second playing second, and doing a tournament structure where the winner of these playoffs won $10,000, and that was it. In season one, all the casting was gimmicks. Really bad gimmicks because they really wanted to lean into the dodgeball true underdog story game. Like certified public assassins, because they were CPAs. The Barbell Mafia, because they were bodybuilders. Armed Response, because they were guards. They had Ink Incorporated, the tattoo artist. The Curves of Steel, who are female bodybuilders. Silent But Deadly, Mimes, who were Mimes. And the Stallion Battalion, who were jockeys. And finally... The Sumo Storm that were sumo wrestlers, and they all lost because maybe the joke of ha ha, big fat people getting hit by dodgeballs kind of ran its course after one match, but they had to stick it out. Anyway, anyway, in season two, they brought back some teams from season one and then added new teams. Because they wanted, I guess, to have some sort of sports element. Season 3, they made it so it's instead of just these weird gimmicky life things. They decided, let's make it so there's a celebrity and everything is based on a city. So, the New York Bling had Mia St. John. Philadelphia Benjamins had Jeremiah the Axeman Trotter. Chicago Hitman had Hal Sparks. Good job, Hal. How did 20 questions treat you? The Denver Hurdlers had Tara Dar... The Kaidas, the snowboarder. LA Armed Response had Mario Lopez. And the Detroit Spoilers had Carrie Walsh. The, uh, the, you know, the, the volleyball player. 
So they bring back some returning players and they keep going. And again, just like a sports broadcast, well, this player has played the game in the last two seasons and has gotten five hits on this. Uh, it's a really, it's a sports show. It's really stupid. In many ways, I could see the appeal for a dodgeball game show like this. They got Bill Dwyer to be the announcer and Zach Selwyn fresh from attack of the show. Oh, wait, no, he did this before attack. I'm high bad. Um, and then, you know, they just keep chatting. Oh, how fun. Bill and Zach. And they just, I get Bill because Bill is like the king of fake sports comedy commentary. He's really good at that, Bill Dwyer. Even though I liked him in Dirty Run Cheater, it never really happened for him. And Zach was an okay co-presenter because he was trying to do the uh, sports analyst situation. But in terms of a gameplay, it's very stupid. No, it's not really a play-along show, so in terms of a game show, it wasn't. It's just a sports event. And one thing I will keep saying is sports, while they are technically will always be considered game shows, it's not the criteria for game shows, I suppose. However, it's a GSN original, and it deserves to be covered slightly because of its unique sports presentive. Because it lasted three seasons, it's actually considered one of the longer-running game shows, even though it lasted 38 episodes. And it was kind of fun because it was at the time when the big dodgeball movie showed up, so they were trying to capitalize on that in a way that, I guess, was successful. They could have easily tried to pitch this to MTV or Comedy Central, but instead it wound up on Game Show Network for some bizarre fucking reason and that is something to be amazed by in the world of a idea concept like this it would be more fitting for another cable channel to grab the goods but the fact that it went over to gsn is the story that needs to be told of course there were so many other gsn shows like the american dream derby reality show where they play horse racing but that's not really something I could really cover because it's a fucking reality show based on horse racing. And additionally, there's all the poker shows that they've tried, like High Stakes Poker. But that's just a sports event. And there's nothing really you could go off of other than, hey, they played poker. At least with Extreme Dodgeball, it's fun to point out the team gimmicks like Ink Ink. And it's fun to point out the big dodgeball in the round two, because that was always my favorite thing. And also, like a rock and jock, the sirens go off when someone hits the regenerative target. And you would see all the graphics on screen of what happens like it's a hockey match. Someone did a lot of thinking of if this could be a sport, what would it be? And when you see things like ultimate tag and tag being a sport, there's actually a big potential to see a, an extreme dodgeball show up again. Because as far as dodgeball game shows are concerned, this one is the best one. Because I am not fucking watching Dodgeball Thunderdome ever again. Extreme Dodgeball, it's a guilty pleasure show, and I am not afraid to say I enjoy it. I enjoy the stupid. 
Wow, that was quite the review. Anyway, my number five pick for who should host is Tom Bergeron from Hollywood Squares. The reason being is because he is an established game show host. He has no game shows currently, not even Hollywood Squares or Tic-Tac-Doe. And he is famous for being on, on celebrity game shows. So he is a perfect thing that you can grab, even though he's very old, uh, to appeal to the senior citizens who are the major audience for Wheel of Fortune, while still being like, oh, yeah, he hosted Dancing with the Stars. That's kind of a thing as well. Anyway, my next game show is a phone-in-win video game game show called Throat and Neck. I bet you never heard of this one. And if you did, I'm sorry. Here's Throat and Neck. So this game show, I, I put it away from the other GSN interactive shows because it's not a GSN interactive show by any stretch. It's not Super Decades. It's not Trivia Track. It's a show called Throat and Neck. It's a video game. That's it. So the show originally was a hit in Brazil, MTV Brazil in 1997, and they decided to appeal to the youths by bringing it over to the Game Show Network by Interactive Television Entertainment to air a live, real-time animated action game show, Throat and Neck, or Throat and Neck. I always say it's Throat and Neck, because that's you know, how it goes. There are two uh, home viewers, and they control the movement of the characters using telephone keypads to input the commands. In the game, Throat and Neck are two unruly beasts who wind up in Sheep Heaven, a mind-numbing world of annoyingly cute and adorable sheep, and the players control the monsters to see which ones can defeat the most sheep and return home. <sighs> yep. Anyway... Uh, essentially, they would play different games, and it would be like, you push the two to jump and five to duck, and you keep moving at the same pace, and whoever can go the fastest and most distance wins. It's very simplistic video game-ass video games. So what would happen is the contestants would try and push the button and jump, or play some variant of breakout where one moves left, three moves right, two hits the center, and... These would be like 3D animated CGI, like a rhino kind of character and like something to look straight out of like a odd world. Like one had like a little elf like nose and just like a big old fangs. And the idea was that there would be it, it's throw and neck and they always compete against each other to battle it out to defeat sheep. And you just keep punching sheep and they would be violent. There'd be blood and guts when you beat the shit out of the sheep and essentially in between the games that would last about two or three minutes because it's like games master there would be these interstitials with the host at the time who would be uh one uh rebecca grant and it would be these two actors playing throat and neck that's kind of like a beavis and butthead kind of situation where one's like hey hey i'm gonna do this well i don't know what you're talking about but it, and that just becomes the game now rebecca grant uh would be playing essentially the uh sexy host the sexy gamer girl host so this was back in 1999 before game before even g4 came out so when we're talking a gamer girl they kind of went for a like E3 booth babe. 
crop tops, a lot of sparkly silver and gold and metallic wear, industrial wear. And the set would look like this industrial junkyard with two TV screens, one hosting throat and one hosting neck. And I guess it'd be the precursor to VTubers because these would be motion captures and they're moving left and right. And someone had to be a puppeteer playing throat and playing neck. Hey, I know. No, I just don't like the sheep. Yeah, I don't care. I like the sheep. And that would be their banter. Oh, Rebecca is so cute. I wish I could go on a date with her. That level of annoyance. Now, they even had the big industrial fan, which I thought was really cool in the set. Uh, I thought the show was very cute, very novel, because it's just an interactive video game. They tried to play it up like a video game game show, but all the video games were already housed and already made via phone. Additionally, the winner of the show, of each of these games won, I believe, like a Game Boy Color, so it was all video gamey themed prizes. So it was an interesting kind of concept because it was indeed a video game game show where the prize is a video game at a time when Nick Arcade no longer existed, not a time when Games Master was still on the air, and there really wasn't a Twitch or anything video gaming related on the air. There will, G4 still wasn't a thing yet. So it, to me, was one of the more interactive shows because it was just a game show playing video games on a phone. But at the same time, if you watch it now, it's really bad. The puppeteering is terrible. Clearly, there were moments when they would, because it's all live. This is like a Playmania situation or Super Decades. They are live to tape. And there are times when there would be contestants playing the game or the phone cannot pick up for one of the contestants. So you see like throat playing and neck is just keep getting hit by the enemy and you're supposed to dodge that it's just like, hey, are you moving player? Player, I need to move. And you just keep saying, well, there's technical difficulties going on. Uh-oh. And from what I'm seeing, uh, the very first episode that was live, that wasn't the pilot, but rather just the actual show, had so much technical mishaps on its first ever episode that they never replayed that episode for a replay broadcast so it was considered lost media, and they instead decided to move it to the pilot episode with other players. It was, to me, very interesting. Um, Rebecca Grant would be an okay host. I'm actually kind of surprised she didn't wind up doing G4 work at the end, um, because, you know, G4. But uh, it was actually an okay show because it was a perfect encapsulation of that late 90s futuristic tech but industrial video gamey technological kind of world that video games were kind of creating and mtv was kind of showing in its content that i thought was very very cute but can it work as a game show today? Fuck no, because fortnite exists and there's esports now so you don't really need a show like this my number four pick is Anthony Anderson for the game show host to replace Pat Sajak on Wheel of Fortune. Anthony Anderson is already busy with a lot of stuff. He's doing Blackish. He's already hosted Tic Tac Doe, 
But if you're going to go into the, I hate to say the minority casting. I hate when they we, we vote because of minorities. Um, Anthony Anderson would be a nice kind of pick because he is very funny. He's enthusiastic. And if you've seen his episode, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, he's very enthusiastic and very funny about this game. That He could easily pass on to the role of Pat Sajak in a way that I think would work. Of course, there's always the talk of, well, maybe it'll be like to tell the truth and then Mama Doris and all that other stuff. But if it's just Anthony Anderson, it should be fine. Now, keep in mind, Pat Sajak's not the only host of Wheel of Fortune. Uh, there have been others like Bob Goen and Chuck Woolery was the first host. And you see how far he crashed. Here's our next game show. Think like a cat. Game Show Network has a slew of bad shows. I will keep saying this, Game Show Network, as much as I love that channel for having so many retro game shows and trying to come up with new ideas and new formats and new games and just taking a chance on ideas, it's still something to enjoy. However, they always have a flop every once in a while. A while back, or if it's not up later, we talked about Kmart Ridiculous Cash Bash and just the embarrassment that was that show. But that wasn't the only promotional consideration game show that's a one and done. They did it earlier in 2008 with Think Like a Cat. Think Like a Cat was sponsored by Meow Mix, the cat food company, because you got to think like a cat. Instead of trying to explain everything, I'm just going to read the wiki page. <clears throat> The first round is an elimination game in which eight cats are placed in front of a bowl of cat food. The three cats who have eaten the most cat food when time expires move on to round two. Can you guess what cat food it is? Yes, it's Meow Mix cat food. So thank you for eating the most Meow Mix. You move on to round two. Those who were eliminated as in the other five, each get $1,000 cash, courtesy of Meow Mix. The three remaining owners of these cats answer trivia questions for points, similar to Jeopardy, with six related categories. Categories. Cat. These questions are ranging from 10 to 50 points. Lowest scoring uh, owner of the cat at the end of this round is eliminated from the game with $10,000. Then we go to the two remaining cats with the two remaining owners, and they're recorded in seven different situations. Those, pl those owners of those cats wager their points from the categories on the first two questions. For the remainder, they may wager any or all of their points. So you can't wager more than half in the first two and then all in the last ones. The cat and the owner with the most point, like will the cat go to the blue door or the red door? Uh, whoever scores the most points wins $25,000 and the chance to play the bonus round. The eliminated contestant gets 15000 Yay. 
Meow Mix Million Dollar Challenge. Ten bags of Meow Mix cat food are placed on the stage. The bags contain symbols with only one pair containing matching symbols. The owner and the cat each choose a bag. If the two bags chosen have the same symbol from Meow Mix cat food, you win a million dollars. In addition, $100,000 to an animal shelter of your choice. Otherwise, $25,000 earlier in the game and an extra $2,500 for a charity of your choice, the shelter of your choice. So obviously they don't win a million bucks, they get $25,000. And I, it's just such a terrible, terrible show. Now, Cash Bash, uh, they, they at the end of that show, they say, well, we're going to match the money and give it to St. Jude. And I went, well, that's good, because St. Jude Children's Hospital is one of my favorite charities. And obviously, ch children deserve to keep living and just have a childhood. It just it's always sad when you see people in the hospital like that. So the St. Jude donation, yeah, it's fine, but it's still a terrible show. And when the case of Think Like a Cat, yes, a million dollars is good and $100,000 to an animal shelter is great. But they don't win it. It's still $2,500 for it. There's still that level of, well, you fucked up the charity. You're not going to give that money to an animal shelter. <clears throat> and I think it's great that they were trying to do uh, some sort of charity work for a special thing like this to donate to a charity. I think that's always good, especially animal shelters. And for something like Meow Mix, I mean, that makes total sense because animal shelters donate a pet, all that good stuff. But when you're trying to make a million dollar game show out of pick the right symbol of Meow Mix, ugh. at no point did it, it feel like a real game show. It felt like a fake game show by Meow Mix to sell Meow Mix that would have been a fever dream. It's the kind of shit that you would have seen in the 90s. The fake ass game show, like a Wink Martindale showing up for like a day going, well, let's play. What would you do for a Mountain Dew? Like, like that, that, that's the kind of shit this was. But this was a real ass game show hosted by Chuck Woolery. So obviously it flopped. It. Uh, let me read what Carrie Gossifer said. Uh, she gave it a one out of five. The show should be put down, saying that only pros like Woolery's hosting and the fact that the episode was only 30 minutes long. Neil uh, Genslinger of the New York Times was equally unimpressed, calling the special not only one of the most embarrassing half hours in the history of television, but also a significant step downward towards the collapse of civilized society. <laughs> Uh, uh, but it got a million viewers, which uh, at some point during, uh, oh, combined during its five airings. Oh, okay. So somewhat, so first air day was like 200,000 or 300,000 and then 200,000. And someone said, this show is so shit. You have to save it and tape it. It's hosted by Chuck Woolery. Famous modern day QAnon conspiracy theorist who has a conservative talk show who gets really upset about trans people existing and gay people existing. 
he he is hosting about oh, 15 years ago a show with cat puns. At one point, he was the most popular game show host in America. Wheel of Fortune in the 70s, when he was the host, took off, and he became a, a big name. Then he got resurgenced with Scrabble in the 80s, Love Connection in the 80s and 90s, Greed in the late 90s, early 2000s. He is Mr. Game Show, Mr. Lingo. And then he lends his personality and voice because he needs the money because Lingo's gone to do Meow Mix. Think like a cat. You know, it's this or doing another season of Naturally Stoned. Big Chuck W coming at you tried and true. That's Chucky, baby. Back in two and two. It's such an embarrassment of a game show. No words can really describe it other than the set looks like something straight out of a 90s fake game show. Chuck Walry should not even be there. Even I was embarrassed for Chuck. The fact it's promotion is Meow Mix, sure, makes sense. But it would work better if this was for a Animal Planet kind of show, a one-off special on the internet... But instead, it was this half-hour infomercial thing on Game Show Network to promote cat food. And when, I mean, like, I, I, it's not out of the, con like, ordinary. That's my dog had pedigree ch uh, dog food as its main sponsor for, for a dog competition on Family Channel. This is no different than That's My Dog. If I can go to the show's defense, it's no different than That's My Dog. But instead of dogs, it's cats. And instead of a dog talent show, we get, does, does your cat want to play with this toy or this toy? It, it's bad. Not only should I not do this, I should also remind people the product placement game show concept never works, even as a one-off special. When Game Show Network does one-off specials, they never work out. So if I'm Game Show Network, just never do a special event series ever again because their record for these one-off specials is now hitting zero. The only one I could think of is the Big Buck Scandal, and that was a documentary, not a game show. And when I think of something like um, Think Like a Cat or the Ridiculous Cash Bash, I think it's just a product placement thing. And I get it. It makes money. It's easy money for the network. But at the same time, it, it doesn't reinforce the brand. It kind of always feels insulting to the audience. It never feels good for the network because you're trying to build a reputation of a fun game show environment. And now you're having like, like the military, you're like, it's almost like a military recruiter then showing up and going like, hey guys, let me tell you. No, I don't want to be sold shit. I want to just have fun for a moment. And even though cats are cute and these are cute cats and they're eating food and that's cute. It's not a good show. It's a terrible, terrible idea. And I fear 
We aren't going to learn anything from this. And you're going to see a show similar to Think Like a Cat on Netflix in real soon because cats are cute. So we're making a cat game show. Maybe it's like a, a cat reality show because we think cats are cute. And here's cute dogs. So we have a spinoff called Heckin' Doggo. Who's the heckin' doggo? We'll find out who wins $100,000. Like, that's the kind of shit we're going to be dealing with. Anyway, uh, support your local animal shelter. Don't watch crappy shows like this. And have your pets spayed or neutered. Goodbye, everybody. Yes, think like a cat. What an exciting game show. People have been talking all about that. Uh, my number three... Uh, pick would be Carson Daly. Carson Daly is the host of The Voice. He's a very boring guy. So he's perfect for a boring-ass game show that senior citizens fall asleep to. He's young enough that people do know who Carson Daly is if they are a Gen X or Gen Y, which is certainly one generation removed from the baby boomers that currently watch the show. But he also is on The Voice, which is Sony-produced as well, even though it's on the Universal lot. So that's why he would be my pick. Uh, next, if you want to be talking about billiards for some reason, have I got the game show for you. Here is Ball Breakers. All right, this next one is called Ball Breakers. Um, so, Game Show Network... Around two two thousand six two thousand five, get the get in the game era of GSN, really wanted to make life a game. So they made a lot of reality shows. They got rid of a lot of game shows, and they tried to push a lot of sports. Now at the time, mid two thousands was the big poker craze. The World Series of Poker would show up, and there's Poker After Dark and Celebrity Poker Showdown. And all of these other places would do a poker-themed show. Uh, I know G4 did, like, an online poker reality show. And GSN, no stranger to that, would have things like high-stakes poker available on the thing. And this leads to the big question. Hey, Jordan, how come you don't talk about poker on the game shows, I suppose? Because it's on Game Show Network. It's, it should be... And I will say, while it is a game, poker is a game, and it is being presented, therefore it's a game show, I argue, and this is just me, poker's a sport, as in an actual sport. This is something that you see on ESPN, this is something that you actually see uh, in Vegas with people watching as if it's a sporting event. This isn't like a TV broadcast with a game show host. There is no presenter, it, unless you want to count a dealer or whoever's the commentator's going, ooh, pocket aces. So I have disqualified poker shows from game shows, I suppose, even though, personally speaking, poker's a very fun uh, uh, game. I love playing poker video games. I, I don't want to play poker in real life because I am such a bad bluffer. But uh, Ball Breakers was basically trying to do that, but with the exciting world of Nine Ball. Nine Ball Pool. You guys like billiards? Anyway, there's four players who get to play on the show. 
based on personality and skill. They play a series of games with bets. At the beginning of the show, the $20,000 grand prize is divided among each contestant, so each gets $5,000 for betting. In round one, a player was selected for control of the table. They decide who would play against in the first game. The minimum bet in the first round was $1,000 per game. The round continued until all players had played at least once, in which case the two players with the least amount of money would be pitting against one another in an elimination round. Did you get that? So there's going to be bets. It's betting against people in, in, a, in a nine ball challenge. Any player with money in the game was allowed to place a side bet on the current game, even one of the competing players currently playing. Anything could be bet on. Who would win? Rather, a particular ball would be made or missed. Rather, one player would run out the table. All the side bets would be in $500 increments, but the better was required to find a taker for a bet to be official. In round two, the minimum bets would be $2,000, and the challenged player could not back down. They had to either accept the stakes or raise the bets. Side bets would still be bottoming out at 500 bucks, but the winner of the first game played against the other player in the next round. In this challenge, if no ball went into any hole on the break, the first shot of the game, the opponent would get ball in hand, the right to place the cue ball wherever they want on the table. After two games, two more nine ball challenges, the two lowest scorers played in the elimination game as in round one, unless someone went all in and lost all their money. <clears throat> in the elimination round, the two players with the smallest bankrolls at the end of each of the first two rounds were forced to play one game to survive. Whoever had the smallest bankroll was necessarily all in, and the opponent put in an equal amount. The winner of this game advanced to the next round, which started with a table control game and collected winnings as usual. If an all-in player advanced, this meant some leftover money was in contention. The winner of the table control game collected all of this contended money. So, like chopped, four becomes three, three becomes two, and the final two play final round. In the final round, the two players played up to four games against each other for all the money. In this round, missing any shot except the nine ball gave the opponent ball in hand, making it very easy for them to knock the ball in. The first three games were all in affairs. If the player with more money could win any of them, the show was over and they won $20,000. But if the round went three games with no player having all $20,000, the final game was played for all the amount, $20,000 regardless of the bankroll at that point in the game. So if you're playing along at home, there's bets, there's side deals, there's side bets, but none of it matters because ultimately only one player will get $20,000 by default. It's just a poker tournament with convoluted rules. Did you get all that? Did you, did you get all that? It's ball breakers. Ball breakers. Adrian Curry. Adrian Curry was one of the hosts. Sal Masekela, famous for the X Games, would be here too. Now that I got that out of the way, I think Ball Breakers was actually a very cool show. I love the set dressing and make it look like a Las Vegas nightclub. 
I love the way that they presented the pool table, the lighting effects on it, the side bets. There were some background noises when it comes to a side bet being played. And the commentary was okay. However, as a game concept, it kind of stunk. Because there was no sort of you build your bank and there's ways to win and there's consolation prizes. This is basically trying to be a pool hustler game show without having the consequence. None of the contestants show up with the $5,000. This isn't their own money. This is the, the producer money. So it, it really is ultimately just a... It's a billiard tournament for $20,000. Now, there has been sports-based game shows before. There has been things like Bowling for Dollars. And personally speaking, I think Ball Breakers has more in common with Bowling for Dollars than a poker tournament based on the personalities that they casted to be the contestants... Uh, all the way to the uh, celebrity editions of Ball Breakers, where it was more played for fun. Uh, ultimately, it's a very interesting show. In terms of just watchability, it's very, very passive, the same way you would say a golf tournament. Now, there's been snooker tournaments in the UK, and those are all the rage. People watch snooker. They watch darts. So something like this is not out of the ordinary in terms of televised sports. However, on GSN, it was a good attempt, but I rarely would classify this as a game show. It would work if the side bets would be played and that determines score and there would be more challenges. But ultimately, it's just, I can beat you and I'm putting $3,000. Okay. It, it means nothing. It really means nothing in terms of this show. And I think that's the most disappointing part. But that being said, though, I think it, it, it we need more billiard TV shows. If there's a way for ESPN2 to bring back billiard challenges, that'd be fantastic. This was the closest we ever got to Big Break as a concept. Again, this is like a weird episode where there's not a lot to talk about. So, number two in my pick, is going to be a weird one. But hear me out here. It is Jesse Palmer. Jesse Palmer is the current host for The Bachelor. He also does a few things like the Spring Bacon Championship on the Food Network. But he is a perfect choice if you're going to pick somebody that is young in the conscious because of The Bachelor Nation and is an established game show host now because of his youth. Additionally, Jesse Palmer is a bit funny that it could work as him being a host. And because he is on The Bachelor, if you are ABC and you still have Celebrity Wheel of Fortune at your disposal, it wouldn't be too weird to have Jesse Palmer host another show on ABC on your channel in the case of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. So if you're ABC trying to make a deal here to get more Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, Jesse Palmer is perfect for this. Of course, they can always just get Jesse Palmer to be the celebrity and then get someone else lower to be the daytime host. They've done that before, but that's beside the point. Uh, Jesse Palmer, I think, is a great modern game show host person that could kind of do that. And I think he's still a likable guy that people would definitely tune in to see Jesse Palmer host the show. Um, the next game show, this is the last one of the GSN Originals today, is one that comes from the big Saturday night block and is based on 20 questions, kind of. It's not people place their thing. That's coming up soon with Melissa Peterman. This is 20Q. Endemol Shrine. 
uh, is a company famous for so many, so many game shows and reality shows. Deal or No Deal, Fear Factor, One Versus a Hundred, Big Brother. They're they're also responsible for a lot of flops, like Show Me the Money, Kid Nation, and of course, Set for Life. So just because it is an End of All Shine production doesn't necessarily mean it is going to be great. Case in point is Game Show Network's original game show for big Saturday night, 20Q. 20Q, I thought, would be a fantastic game show because it's based off the toy 20Q, the 20 questions game involving a computer. And this is basically what if that toy was an actual game show and it's 20 questions, an easy game that everybody knows how to play. Well, you get 20Q, hosted by one of my favorite game show hosts, Kat Dealey, uh, and hosted by Hal Sparks as Mr. Q. I guess Video Game Vixens wasn't enough. Anyway, <clears throat> there is essentially four rounds. It's a half hour. It's a 60-minute game show. What happens is... There's a preliminary game. In the studio audience, they pick a row, and then whoever is the first to come up with a correct answer based on clues for an identity of a person, place, or thing, vegetable, mineral, all that, like you see in 20Q, will advance to the main game. So it's kind of like a uh, audience participation game show. <sighs> yep. Anyway, once we get three players all pulled from the audience, we get to play the head-to-head -head game. 20Q provides a category, and then a choice of two questions is given to a contestant. If it's, uh, and the object is to simply put, keep getting a yes answer. So whoever's in control gets to ask one of the two choice questions. If it's yes, you stay control of the board. If it's a no, you lose control. And after each turn, a question has been asked. The player can either choose a question that hasn't been played yet or ask a new pair of questions and ask one of those. So if the player asks for two new questions that they choose from, they could choose to come up with the correct answer. And if they can correctly figure it out, they win $5,000 and a chance to play the semifinal. Uh, then we get to do round two. In round two... We, we play the same game. So there's two winners. Semi-final, we have our two champions, just like you would say uh, the, the, the Price is Right showcase. And they have to basically play a speed version of Double Dare. Not uh, Mark Summers' Double Dare, the uh, Trebek-era Double Dare. They have to figure out person, place, or thing with as little clues as possible, but it's against the clock. Every couple of seconds, a new clue is given, and once somebody knows the answer, they have to ring in and give the correct response. Whoever answers it the fastest with the least amount of clues wins the game and goes on to the bonus round. In the bonus round, there's a choice of two categories, and you're up against 20Q. In this game, the contestant can ask questions from a provide list of 20 questions. 
While the computer can attempt to answer at any time, the contestant is only given one chance to answer the game. At a critical point in the challenge, the computer goes into sleep mode and the host asks if you have any idea what the answer is. After which, Mr. Q wakes up from a nap. If the player buzzes in with the right answer to what the 20Q is before the 20 questions computer can, they win $20,000. However, if, if the Mr. Q game wins, the contestant just gets the $5,000. And that's... That's it. Anyway. Anyway, uh, it's an okay show. The reason they had to do it this way is because when coming up with a 20-question style game, you have to predetermine the questions. Any sort of outside questions will either have to stop tape and come up with a judge's decision, or you have to do some research. So if it's a popular culture item, they actually have to do research on every question on a yes or no decision. Additionally, the computer actually is technically an algorithm that knows how the option is based on certain things. This was basically a precursor to Beat Shazam because both of these games have a beat the computer at the end of the show to win the big prize. However, I think Beat Shazam is a much better game show than this because Beat Shazam is an easy to understand concept. You just have to name the tune. With 20Q, you do have to figure out people, places, and things However, what makes it a little more difficult is that you're not really playing 20Q and you're not necessarily playing the toy 20Q. You're essentially playing some various games. The qualifying round is definitely 20Q, but you're trying to figure out the person, place, or thing based on questions. Uh, in the second round, you're not. it's not really playing 20Q, it's trying to get yes answers and staying afloat because if you say no someone else can take it and win the head-to-head -head round is like a speed version of 20q which is kind of interesting but it, it just necessarily just sort of feels like what could have been another qualifying round or some sort of like bonus challenge leading up to the final round where you're up against 20Q, which I think was actually a really good in-game, even though it's still a modification of the double there, beat the spoilers. You get a question and then you have to give it to Mr. Q. And then because of the algorithm, because it's all computerized, Hal Sparks and has to read a piece of paper going, well, I detect there is 114 possible answers. And, and kind of like the cube eventually goes, I am reduced to four possible answers. Go to sleep mode. All right. Well, Q, Mr. Q is currently in sleep mode and is a down to four. Do you have any idea who it could possibly be? And it's j just sort of, eh. I do like that bonus round is basically a big money challenge and it's for $20,000, which at the time of Game Show Network, it was still more than the $10,000 they typically default to, but to make it a half hour show is still very um, low. Obviously, they couldn't afford a lot of stuff. It's Game Show Network extended cable. The budget is very low. To have the marketing of 20Q was still a really good idea to market 20 questions, but... I think it's always trying to figure out the format, and I think this is a case of 
the game show did a little too much of everything to really come up with what the format is. When you have to start out with, there's an odds participation game. Then they have to do this yes-no challenge. Then they have to do the, then they play against Mr. Q. It, it just becomes a sort of, and then this happens, and then this happens, and it just, you, you lose the audience because you're playing four different games at various times. And when you have four different rule sets in different games, sometimes that confuses audiences, and sometimes it just bores. Additionally, 20Q did air on Saturday nights, around like 8 o'clock, as a primetime show, which is a great idea. Game Show Network trying to go for a primetime show in Saturdays is still pretty interesting because usually there is nothing on Saturdays in primetime on American television. Primetime on Saturdays is more of a UK television situation, so it's great that they attempted something with this with 20Q. However, the format just simply did not work. It was too confusing, and the ratings kind of showed for that. However, very clever that they're trying to give away $20,000 to a 20Q game. Typically, that kind of is the kind of cash price it would fit a game show like this if it was speedy buy. If you ask me, and no one ever does, it would have been a lot better if what they did was they had the three contestants already playing in advance, and then you have a game of 20Q that is whatever one of those three rounds you have. I wouldn't recommend against the Yes game. I would just say maybe like a Clue, buzz in, Clue, buzz in, figure it out. And then whoever wins qualifies. Like, hey, here's here's the idea. <clears throat> hey, folks, Jordan with the idea for 20Q, if you were going to make this a new game show, the three contestants are already casted, all right? To win the game, you have to figure out the what Mr. Q is thinking of, the 20Q. To figure it out, you need to unlock clues. The longer the game continues, the more clues you will get. All right? So, <clears throat> you end up with a first game of 20Q. Here's a fact. Here's a fact. Here's a fact. Like a who am I? Is a you ring in. Correct. And then you get the first clue. And because you got it right, you unlock the first clue. And you're the only one that gets to solve. Obviously, they won't get to solve. It's just sort of practice. It's a moot. We do it again for a second clue, a third clue, a fourth clue, a fifth clue, a sixth clue. Essentially making it so it gets easier and easier as we play along. Hopefully that someone can solve it in about 10 to 12 clues. Whoever can correctly solve the 20Q riddle wins the game and goes on to play this big bonus round. In the big bonus round, hey, you could win up to fucking 100 grand. Let's just say it has to be a huge chunk of cash, like 100 grand. To do that, you have to beat 20Q. But here's the catch. For every five clues, once it reaches five, if you can't figure it out, we lower it again by a few thousand dollars. So then like a deal or no deal situation. Well, now you're playing for 50,000. Now you're playing for 20,000. And when it gets to the final five, you're playing for 10,000. 
And if you can't solve it or Mr. Q beats you, you get the Game Show Network minimum $1,000. There you go. See, you give the Game Show Network minimum $1,000. you are still potentially just giving away $10,000, but you're, sh you're showing off that this could be a potential $100,000 win if you do one of the rarest and get it in five clues or less. Therefore, you have a better Game Show chance. To me, that would be what would happen now that's just that's just how i would do 20q obviously it's a little too late for that there's been other 20 question style games uh including guessable in the uk and including person place or thing a short-lived game show here in america okay which leads me to our final one who do i believe should host wheel of fortune so we can close the show on a happy note the one and only John Michael Higgins. John Michael Higgins, he's not really anyone's first choice for a game show host. I understand that. But he's already have over a decade at GSN to be this person. Feel me on this. He has great ad-lib skills. He's very funny and could banter with contestants very easily. He has been shown to do a guessing game like America says, a trivia game like Split Second, that's something like... Wheel of Fortune would be easy for him to do because all he has to do is banter at the introductions, make a little snide remark about the puzzles, and in a big ad-lib joke at the end of the show. It's easy-peasy for him. Additionally, the way that he uh, presents himself on screen is kind of quasi-Sajak in the way that he is very silly and looks at the camera, looks off the camera, looks at the audience. He wants to make sure everyone is taken care of in a way that's very unique to his hosting persona. And then if we want to go into a very mean kind of way, if you are an old person who can barely pay attention to Wheel of Fortune and just have blurry vision, you will just think he looks like Pat Sajak. So there you go there. Yeah, I'm going to be mean. He looks kind of like Pat Sajak. But in all seriousness, though, I think John Michael Higgins is the perfect kind of host because he's not necessarily big brand name host unless you do some digging and go, oh, he was with Elizabeth Banks and Pitch Perfect. And, oh, he was in The Breakup. And, oh, he was in this movie and that movie. And you can see, like, oh, he does a lot of things. That It's kind of a fun little thing that he becomes the host of Wheel of Fortune. And I think that he can easily have that persona of whenever there's a theme week, like a pet lover's week, a food week, a Star Wars week, he'll gladly blend himself into the surrounding of whatever that theme week is in a way that's good for the branding, that's good for Wheel of Fortune, that's good for everybody around. For the game show fandom, he's a game show host. So, hey, we know him. He's the game show host. For newcomers... They'll give him a chance and they'll like him because just like Pat, he's funny. So I think it fits so many criterias and so many boxes that I think he might be the right fit. Of course, people will, will say anything from Lance Bass or Clay Aiken or um, Mark L. Wahlberg or just say Maggie Sajak's going to host the show now. There's going to be thousands of choices going on in terms of who is going to have this. But the announcement just happened weeks ago, and obviously this is not going to happen for another 
couple of years at this point. Season 41 has to start recording and wrap up before we even probably hear a sniff of who is going to be the suspected new host of Wheel of Fortune. So that's a 2024 decision, not a 2023 decision. So for the time being, let's just sit back, celebrate Pat Sajak unless he ends up hanging out with Madre Tyler Green again, and we'll be fine. It'll be fine. Someone has to keep the, the slot machines up. As long as there's a wheel of fortune, it'll work. People said the same thing when Charlie O'Donnell passed away. But hey, Jim's doing a great job. Anyway, that's going to be it for this week's very short uh, segmented Game Show Network episode of Game Shows, I suppose. We'll see you again next time for another exciting episode. Until then, big smooch. Mwah!